Hello, everyone. We are back. And before we get into it, I just have a couple things to tell you. First off, yes, you can, as of today, get a Frankie Says A Cab shirt or tote bag in our shop for a very brief amount of time. Uh, we'll have the pre order available until midnight on March 16th, and then we will take it away forever. But obviously, you can't title an episode Frankie Says A Cab and then not offer a Frankie Says A Cab shirt. That would be rude. Speaking of merch, we have a bunch of new merch in our shop. We have a hashtag Ruthless Bumper sticker, a Gay People Love Puns sticker, and a Gay People Love Puns enamel pin. You've been asking. We heard you. It is a pre-order because pins are very expensive to make, so we need to sell enough of them to be able to afford to order them. So those are available until March 31st, and assuming we sell 50 of them before that date, we will then order them and you will get them. If we don't, you'll get your money back. So there's no risk involved. And let's get into the episode. The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled, and that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. And this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about Harry Potter. Hello. And welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches read Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about chapter one of book four, The Goblet of Fire, The Riddle House, in which we are not in Harry's head. We are in the third person. Woohoo! In a place called Little Hangleton, where an abandoned manor of terrible rich people, the Riddles, used to live. Fifty years earlier, something mysterious happened that killed all the Riddles with no cause of death. The cops, ever incompetent, arrested Frank Bryce, the gardener, for the murder because he was odd, a.k.a. had PTSD and kept to himself. Frank thinks a teenage boy did it, but because ACAB, no one believed him. The forensics clears Frank, but the town is still suspect. In the present day, Frank's still gardening for the abandoned Swookie Manor and sees some activity up at the Riddle House. Thinking it's just punk teens, he goes to investigate. He listens in on a weird conversation between two weird guys, but does pick up on someone being murdered already and then them planning to kill some kid named Harry. Before he can get away to tell anyone about this, He's ratted out by a giant snake. It ends up facing a truly horrifying vestige of baby Voldemort before he is killed. And Harry, miles away, wakes up suddenly. Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe we're at book four. It's wild. I know, especially because we'll be on book four for the next two years. <laughs> for real, dude. <laughs> Luckily, I really like this book. I know a lot of people don't like this book, but I really like this book. Really? 
know. Maybe part of it is that this is the first book that I read. Like, I got it, like, when it came out, and I was so excited to read it. But, like, I really like this book. Oh, I thought you were about to say you didn't. I was like, wait, are you disagreeing with me? But you're agreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the people who I said don't like it. I guess. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I guess part of it is that I really like the sort of mystery reveal of book four because I normally don't really care for like mystery as a genre I just don't find it really interesting enough it was just a pleasant surprise to be like oh fantasy mystery that's cool yeah it's really it's this is a I really like this book so and also there's no way you would have anticipated like the ending of this book no (laughs) you just like I don't know. I guess it's <laughs> it's kind of like I'm trying to think of a good example. It's kind of like the first Saw movie where you're like, what is happening? Why are these two dudes locked in a room? And at the very end, it's like all of the pieces come together. And it's like, oh, Jigsaw set up this elaborate thing that like you only had the pieces of. But now in the last five minutes, the audience like gets all the pieces and you're like, oh, shit. You have the wrongest possible audience for this analogy yeah probably in me, but <laughs> probably not in our listeners i just am like uh-huh a horror movie nope no idea i guess i don't know i can't think of any other media where it like falls into place so well that you're like holy shit i did not see this coming yeah i mean i'm i'm very excited also hi listeners hi we're back we've been gone for a little bit on our little retrograde break although for us, we are in the middle of our retrograde break because we do still record during it. <laughs> but, you know, hey, sorry if you missed us. And we're happy to be back with you starting a new book. And if you found it really hard to be without us, you should maybe like think about listening to our other podcast, Escape from Reality, because then you get us every week in your feed when we're not on break. So just saying, read Carry On. Or you could join our Patreon and listen to our Buffy podcast that released every month in the full moon. Yes, you could do that too. Yeah, so now we're going to do it. We're going to do this this thing. We're going to start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Opening chapter of Goblet of Fire suggests that J.K. Rowling should have stuck to short stories, maybe? <laughs> It's a bold statement, but this is like a beautiful chapter. And like, I don't know. I think like the art of this chapter might be better than like the whole book. But, you know, let's talk about that in the front page. Actually, yeah, I I guess I don't have this anywhere. But yeah, like this is basically its own like small town murder mystery, like cozy murder mystery in the first like however many pages of this chapter. It's kind of well done. It is. It's I I think it's I think it's a perfect standalone short story. If you just leave off the a boy named Harry woke with a start last line of it and it just ends with Frank dying, like it's it's a perfect little standalone. I love a short story with no resolution. I don't think JK Rowling could actually write short stories because she doesn't know how to leave things open the way that you really need to to write a good short story, I feel like. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think we, we've talked a decent amount about, you know, how she's, she often fails to give us enough information about a scene for us to really be present in the scene and know what people are doing with their bodies and like where everything is. But in this, we get this very 
well-crafted physical space and like where people's bodies are and what they're doing that I don't think she's able to continue throughout a longer book. So I actually think that like her craft is maybe most keenly honed when she is writing these these little things. I guess I was going to say, obviously we get a few of these omniscient third person perspective chapter, not necessarily about Harry. I think it's weird, partly because I really, really love third person omnipotent as a narrative structure, because you can still like be in your main character's head, but then you're not limited to like just what they're seeing. Like uh, the entirety of his dark materials is written like that. So then, Cause then you can just be like, other things that are happening and it's not jarring when you like come back to your protagonist but yeah this chapter is surprisingly good yeah it's really it's really lovely so i did i did have like one writing qualm with it which is that because it's so good i'm gonna get just like ornery about the fact that we get this sentence this is only the second half of the sentence, but the riddle house was now damned, derelict, and unoccupied. And I just wrote, come on, dude, deserted. Like, why would you not keep with the... Oh, the alliteration? Yes. Damp, derelict, and deserted. That's so much better than unoccupied. That someone should have caught that. <laughs> You're correct. Thank you. But I'm sure editing this, like, literal five-pound weight of a book was probably already already just, like, trying enough. (laughs) I propose that everyone should have at least, like, five editors with five, like, different kinds of strengths. Because I think there's, like, different... There are just different kinds of editing, and some of them are things like your eye will just like snag on an incorrect punctuation mark or like opportunity like that as opposed to more like deep editing or whatever. I feel like I would be really great if if someone was just like, I just want you to go through and like find places where I could have used a better word and like when my semicolon should have been a dash instead. And I'm like, I'm your guy. (laughs) I've got you. I feel like I read a lot of books now where it's like the acknowledgments at the end of the book are like three pages long because it's always like 20 people who's like my writing group and like these folks who looked over my first draft and then this person and that person. It's kind of like, this is really great. Like, yeah, it takes a village to write a book, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you what do you want to say? The first thing is that the village pub is called The Hanged Man. (laughs) I don't know. And like, I just, I mean, I always like how like British pubs seem to have the most humorous name and then you could do things like The Hanged Man and it's it's entertaining, but it's also like there probably is a pub called The Hanged Man somewhere. I'm sure that there is. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, This is such a like specific 90s reference. Are, Are you familiar with the movie Now and Then? Yes. Great. So this Frank feels a lot like the Frank in Now and Then. I feel like it took me a long time to realize that that what I imagined that actor playing this role when I read this chapter, because they really just have so much in common, both, I think, physical characteristic wise and also like attitude wise. And I can just imagine this Frank being like, 
I don't like to see a lot of people and I don't think they like to see a lot of me. And I'm just like, oh, and I think that also is why when we get to editorials, when I talk about how much this Frank like hurts my heart, I think it's partly because I'm also like conflating him with that Frank. Also, also a little bit of the like old dude that rescues Kevin in Home Alone that like he's creeped out by. I'm so much less familiar with Home Alone. Creepy old dude that is like actually just like my family is away and I just want to be closer to them. But I'm also going to save you from this terrible thing because I'm actually not a villain. Right. I'm just a like keeps weird, keeps himself old, old dude. Yeah. Okay. I think it's your turn. Um, I just want to say that like uh, this chapter does a really good job of being like small town gossip is the fucking worst. Yep. I mean, I think that's all. I think if I watched more like BBC shows about like small town mysteries and like how fucked up and insular small towns everyone knows who you are are i would have more to say about that but um i was wondering like who is paying frank to work here is this like a voldemort thing is this i mean okay i do i guess i don't know how it works in the uk i would believe though because rich assholes do this in detroit is that you're holding onto it as either like as a property that you can basically be like, oh, eventually I can sell for a bunch of money. So I'm just going to sit on it and let it like rot there and not put any money in it and then just pay any fine about looking derelict. So if ever there's a moment where like little hanging thing is a hot, you know, real estate market, I can sell it for like millions of dollars. So he's just like convenient to keep on as the you know groundskeeper yeah okay i mean if yeah if this is america this that is basically what it, this would be that um, makes sense and and i'm sure there's some rat some like rich people bullshit where it's like oh it's a historical marker or some bullshit that someone can pull to be like yep i own this falling apart a uh, historical marker cut my taxes yeah <laughs> god damn all right uh you your turn just a worm tail. I'm looking at Snake for Voldemort. <laughs> it's not as gross as it sounds. It's He's milking the venom. I know. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, is actually horrifying. Yeah, actually, I have, a, I have a whole bit about... I have a little bit about that in Health and Science. Surprise, surprise. Okay. So Cool. I have a little bit about it, too. Also, surprise, surprise. We want to talk about snake venom. <laughs> yeah, and snakes. I'm, I did I did so much Wikipedia research. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but, speak, but speaking of Wormtail, I just really love his, like, his just shitty, like, I am a faithful servant. <laughs> it's... I think up until that moment, I'm like, because I feel like there's a lot of discourse about if Sirius is sort of in a like, like he hasn't mentally aged past being a teenager since he went into prison. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if Wormtail has either spending Twovies as a rat, because that is definitely a sullen teenager kind of mood. Totally. <laughs> yes. It is just so shit. Like shitty, not like bad behavior, but just like what a little shit kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> just like, don't don't say they're a better servant than me. I'm I'm a good servant. Fuck you, Dad. Right, and then uh, it's like, but here you are doing all the scut work of 
carrying around a gross baby Voldemort <laughs> and like <laughs> milking what I'm sure is Nagini's horrible, humongous fangs. So yes. that was a and choice you made. Feeding Voldemort out of a bottle? I don't know. Shit's fucking weird, man. It's I mean, so you know, weird. not trying to kink shame anyone, but. Voldy can hold a wand, so I kind of hope that he can, like, hold his own bottle, but, like, I don't know. Probably not at the beginning, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yep, it's your turn. Um, just Voldemort telling Wormtail that he has a task that his followers would give their right hand for, but a no. <laughs> Which I don't think I've ever noticed until reading this chapter right now, and I'm like, <sighs> you motherfucker. I literally wrote, ha, 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 good one, Voldy. Oh. <laughs> it's such a good show. I know. It's such... What an asshole. <laughs> also, don't you just imagine the scene where he tells Pettigrew what he's going to have to do? Like, his eyes just, like, dancing with amusement, waiting to see if Pettigrew is going to put it together and be like, you fucker give their right hands for like god damn it I know. <laughs> you know what i will say this for voldemort when he goes for it he goes fucking hard like this is up there with the anagram for me in terms of <laughs> just so good i know in, in another world he just could have been just some smart snake obsessed dude making <laughs> such ridiculous jokes and wordplay yep. like wordplay jokes yeah he could have had like the silliest youtube channel it would have been fine yeah welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up you go you first <laughs> i'm to say i think you should start no you do it ah oh, fine all right just that of course Everyone in this fucking little small town is like, the one person who's not living a, like, quote-unquote normal life must be the murderous criminal. And it's like, y'all, just keep your fucking small town biases to yourself. This dude just wants to fucking garden in peace. Leave him the fuck alone. Yeah, I definitely noticed the, how, you know, the, it starts with everyone being sort of like, not Frank. And then the cook is basically like... I don't think he's trustworthy. And one person is like, come on, like, go easy on this guy. And then within like 10 minutes, everyone's like, fucking Frank. He definitely did it, that weirdo. Right. It's like, how dare Frank not want to drink sherry with me? And yeah. then it just became like, oh, he's clearly a deviant freak who would totally murder these terrible rich people. It felt very real. No, it felt so real. <laughs> Upsettingly, yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, they were basically minutes away from, like, Burn the Witch. Which yeah. is funny, considering <laughs> who ends up doing this murder in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a good joke. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, I feel like Frank actually models for us proper discernment of, like, when the appropriate time to call in the authorities is. He's like, I think some kids broke in and started a fire. If I can, like, get them out of there safely and deal with the situation, I'm definitely not calling the cops. Okay, it's not kids. It's some weird dudes. I need to gather enough information to find out what they're up to. Fuck, they're talking about killing people. Now is the moment to call the cops. And I was like, Frank, I think 
we could actually use this chapter as like an example of how to assess whether or not it's appropriate to call the police. Yeah, for sure. I think it's telling that like what brings him to this perspective is being hassled by the cops for a crime he didn't commit. Yep. You know, which I feel like I think for a lot of white people is how they kind of realize that the cops are bullshit, you know? So, and I feel like, I mean, like, obviously I don't want people being hassled by cops or bullshit, but like, I think it's, it's definitely a lesson that kind of brings home how much cops are shitty and how to like, right, assess what is worth dealing with all their bullshit for. Yeah. And like, what their actual job should be, you know? Yeah. In, in a world where we have successfully defunded the police, that would be the only thing you would call the police for, right? Like everything else, it would be like someone who is trained to do that particular thing would be the one who turns up for that. Right, or some kind of like community board to be like whatever that ideal, like whatever kind of a like a actual sense of justice, you know, you know, would be. Right, exactly. Right, if you need to like get kids to go home, I mean- probably you just tell them to leave right yeah that's which is i think exactly what frank was gonna do was to be like get the fuck out of here what are you doing it's like that's that's where we need to be is a place where like if you tried to call the police to be like some kids broke into this empty house they would be like and right Right? yeah right it's like right they're just like smoking some weed and like drinking or something it's just like go home (laughs) right yes are they actively doing anything to you no great go back to bed yeah uh so i know that we later learn more things about tom riddle senior but like most maybe all rich people these people sound fucking terrible (laughs) like it's just a brief line about how like the like elder riddles are fucking terrible and how like their son tom is even worse and you're just like i feel like you could just the picture of just like snooty, you're beneath me because you don't have a fuck ton of money, which is basically everyone kind of rich people. It's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, very, very Scrooge pre all of the ghosts visiting him. So. Yes. All right. So we get some like sneaky transphobia from JK Rowling in this chapter. Which we always get whenever she talks about Voldemort, honestly, because his voice is just, like, so insistently, like, a man's but too high. Mm. But we also get it with Pettigrew, who also has this, like, high-pitched, squeaky voice. And Mm. her favorite thing is to be, like, you can tell this person is bad because, like, they're somehow, like, doing gender inappropriately. Yeah. So that. And then this is, like, an outside rant that because this is a short chapter i'm gonna take the opportunity to like seize upon but like so we get this thing from frank where he's like the second voice also belonged to a man but it was like too high-pitched or like clear was clearly a man's voice but it was like weirdly high-pitched and cold or whatever and like you know you like literally are incapable of telling the gender of a person that a voice belongs to by the voice itself and like i know this is something i've been thinking about a lot lately is the the way that even like within my own communities my cis peers 
are very willing to like assume the genders of strangers all the time in a way that I just like get really bummed out about where it's like I literally don't care if it's like the Comcast customer service person or like someone who you follow on TikTok who doesn't have their pronouns in their bio or like the old person who's like being really shitty to you at the grocery store and won't wear a mask like use they until proven otherwise and like if you need to talk about something that's related to a person's gender like you want to say that the person was almost certainly a cis dude because of the way that that interaction was going just say that you're assuming like you can still talk about it but like make it clear that you don't actually know and like I don't know. I feel like, I don't know why it's been like super under my skin lately, but this came up in this chapter and I was like, I'm taking this opportunity to talk about it on the podcast. (laughs) So that's me doing this right now. Uh, I think that is a good uh, PSA for our cis listeners. Yeah, I started to train myself to do that a couple of years ago. I still slip up on occasion, but right, like you can't assume anyone's gender just by like, like it's just by like looking at them. Yeah, it's hard. It is. Like, I want to validate that. Like, I slip up, too, all the time, especially when it's me saying something judgmental about someone who I assume is a cis man. Like, Mm -hmm. it's very easy for me to just, like, automatically say he and, like, it's fine. Like, the biggest thing that's happening there, I think, and it's maybe, like, the slipping up is even helpful because it, like, makes you be like oh look I just made that assumption and that's how you like rewire your brain yeah. is to be like notice that you made an assumption and then it's okay to like go with that assumption to be like that person wasn't wearing a mask and had like a Trump flag on their Dodge Ram pickup truck <laughs> and you know cat called someone on the sidewalk like I'm pretty sure that is a cis man But just noticing that you're like, oh, I do actually have to say like pretty sure because I can't be 100% certain. Like that's what helps you do that. Yeah. I think actually what is where I slip up the most is like when I'm at work and I have to address someone that I don't know. (laughs) And I feel like whenever I say mix, it's like, I'm like, does this sound like I'm saying miss? Is someone like, and then it's kind of like. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's like a company policy thing, I think, to be like can we just fucking use people's first names well i just mean like when i literally like don't know so someone is like sitting in an audience and i'm like i just need to like motion at you for something but i don't know who you are oh uh, yeah like in the red shirt yeah yeah it is i mean and like shit things like that are really hard like when evan was applying for jobs out here before we moved he would just address his like cover letters to the person's full name because like not assuming someone's gender but like if it's not listed on like the company website or whatever it's really hard and it's like this is a weird way to address a formal letter but like just do what you gotta do yeah cover letters like that are the worst also oh they are get someone else to write your cover letter pro tip that's like my apparently people didn't used to necessarily even like i feel like i feel like boomers are like i didn't have to to write a cover letter for a job and i'm like fuck you yeah, also, like, there were, like, four billion less people in the world when they were applying for those jobs, so a lot less competition. <laughs> also, 
Credit scores were invented in 1989, which makes me so angry. What? I had no idea. Yes! It's such bullshit. That is such bullshit. It's such bullshit. This is some fucking racist ass shit. And I fucking hate it. 89! I was four years old. I'm like, what? no other country in the world has this fucking credit score bullshit. And I'm like... I didn't know any of that. I hate this fucking place. So much, so, so much, much to be angry about now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that was the thing I was angry about this week because I think I learned it this week, and I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" Welcome to editorials where we rant about non-political stuff. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think my first one is like half political. Go for it. <laughs> It's just that, like, leave Frank alone. He's a disabled veteran with PTSD. Let him hang out in the garden in peace. Like, come yeah. on. Fuck these villagers. Totally. Um, all right. My next editorial, because that was also my first one, is Bro Pettigrew is just so incredibly correct that they should do this without Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. He could not be more correct. Obviously, he was like, I could leave. We could be done in two (laughs) days. And he is right. And, like, Voldemort just gets all, like, shitty and, like, gaslighty. And, like, I guess you don't even, like, care about me and whatever. And the reason that he can't give a valid argument is because the reason he wants to use Harry is for drama. And there is no legitimate reason. He just doesn't fucking want to admit it. So he's just like, Pettigrew, what a, you're such a fuckhead. Like, you don't even care about me. How dare you want me to do this the easy and effective way? You with your logic and sound reasoning. Go fall in a hole, dude. And I'm just like, what the hell, Voldemort? What the hell? I don't want him to come back to power, but like, goddamn, Peter is correct. Yeah. I actually have kind of been thinking about this because I I don't know if like sentimentality is what I think is happening. But also, dude, you're hanging out in your dead bio family's manor after you murdered them all to like make your whatever horror crux. And it's like, like there are like less suspicious ways, like less predictable ways to go about this. But it's kind of like, I don't know, he has to like be like, ah, yes. The place where I've bested my my shitty muggle family. It's like, bro, just get out to hell. I don't know. <laughs> oh, for real. Especially it's like doesn't give a fuck about killing people. Like he could go literally anywhere. He has automatic dead body cleanup with this giant fucking snake, you know? Yeah. It's just yeah. because he's so fucking over the top and he can't stop being so over the top. Yeah, I agree. I mean, his choices of horror cruxes is sort of like, you really had to be this difficult on yourself to gather all of these artifacts of like the Hogwarts founders, my dude. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It's like color coordinating your horror cruxes. You're like, it has to be like, you know. He really uh, is the the crab from Moana. <laughs> <laughs> that gay crab. Which, yeah. Okay. 
I've heard a lot about Moana before I watched it, and I'm like, why didn't no one tell me about this gay ass crab? Like, seriously, I can't no one told you about the crab. I love that crab so much. Tumblr and Twitter had clear, and Instagram failed me that I did not know about this gay crab, and literally until I watched a movie last year. It just like is David Bowie as a crab. It's so good. I know. I love it so much. Yeah, that's my whole editorial section, actually, is just that Peter is correct. So it's all you from here on out. I only have one very ridiculous thing left. And probably because I've, like, in my off time been reading a lot of Buffy fan fiction, is that Tom Riddle is, like, a little bit like a Buffy vampire. And then it's, like, all blah, blah. I gotta go back and murder my entire bio family. And it's, like, <laughs> or you could not, I guess. But whatever floats your boat. Yeah. i mean it just it we see we see where it leads him which is just like endlessly over the top dramatics you know this movie could have been prevented i mean a lot of reasons could have been prevented but like if hogwarts just had a drama department you could have gotten (laughs) all this out like the rest of us like awkward baby gays just like in the theater department being really extra uh, this is what happens when you don't fund the arts <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> yeah we should write up a little thing for school districts like look do you want to be responsible for the rise of the next Voldemort no fund the fucking arts no, I feel like the right wing that we're dealing with now in the U.S. is basically, they're basically death eaters. It's so true they are. It's like kind of already happening. Welcome to Advertisements, where we ask you for money and make you laugh. Uh, so I didn't write like a cute thing about asking you for money, but like, I'm just going to tell you all the ways that you can help make it so that we don't have like real ads in the advert section because we really don't want to. And I think probably you also don't want us to. So I'm going to like start with free and work my way up. Free is like, keep listening, tell your friends, leave us a rating and a review, listen to Escape from Reality and do those things with that podcast too. You can like go up a step and buy our merch and we have like cool new merch and that's exciting. That's all on our website, which is thegailyprofit.com. There's also a donate button on our website and we're at The Gaily Profit on Venmo and PayPal if you want to make one-time donations. And then like top level, though all of these are super valuable and legitimate ways to support us. If you want to make a monthly supporting situation into reality, you can join our Patreon where you can get all sorts of rad stuff and also listen to our Buffy podcast, We Are the Gayers, and read Jesse's Buffy fanfic, (laughs) (laughs) which is also really great. I've clearly been listening to too much NPR because I kind of would be like, and then you can get my voice on your answering machine. (laughs) Um, People would pay for that. So don't (laughs) say that willy nilly into the universe, Jesse. We'll put a poll up. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We can offer it as like a joining incentive for Pride Month or something. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But, you know, that's it. That's all the things. And you won't have to listen to us say those again in the outro because we said them here at The Gaily Prophet, all of those, all of those places. You can also, like, talk about us on social media. That's also really helpful. And now our next advert. 
Are you in search of an animal companion, but just too goth for a floofer? Looking to boop a snoot that is as cold as your soul? Searching for a cuddly friend whose cuddles can be deadly? Come on down to Danger Noodle Reptile Emporium to see our incredible selection of nope ropes, and you're sure to see to meet the long boy of your dreams. Adopt a snack today and experience the joy of your new room temperature pal slowly constricting your own room temperature heart. Danger Noodle Reptile Emporium for all of your too cool for a warm pet needs. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. This is Lark hones in on one single sentence in a chapter and decides to make an ad about it. It's just the part where Frank says that the snake is like a horrible travesty of a pet dog on the hearth rug. And I was like, I can work with that. You sure can. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Welcome to the health and science section where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. Snake facts with Lark and Jesse. Actually, sorry, I have one more thing before snake facts. And that is, what the fuck does the killing curse actually do to you? So, we've known about the killing curse throughout these four books. But we finally get evidence where it's like, the coroner or whatever the fuck is like, there really just doesn't appear to be any reason that these people died. They're just perfectly healthy. They're just dead. Mm -hmm. And so part of me is like, it could be like, it's like killing your soul. But like, if dementors eat your soul, but you're still like alive, but kind of just gonna fugue comatose empty shell of a body then like mm -hmm. the killing curse must be like a weird brain death then or like i don't know magical electrical disruption of like your brain and your heart i don't know i, I was just trying to think of like what kind of death is a killing curse death mm -hmm. i wonder if it just like stops everything mm. basically like all of your cellular functions that are constantly going to keep you alive, what if it just, like, stops all of them at the same time so that there isn't something that would look like a heart attack or, like, look like an aneurysm or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just, like, they all stop at the same time, so they're, it's like, well, you, like, you sh just should be alive because there is no cause of death. Mm. That would make sense. Or this was 50 years ago, and if they did it in... 2020 there would be something that would look like cause of death like some natural cause of death yeah it'd be like right they would be able to do all the like fancy computer forensic stuff to be like actually so i don't know i was just kind of like wait a minute <laughs> what does this mean it's a really interesting question yeah any uh doctors or surgeons or people who know things about the human body let us know what you think the what the killing curse does yes please my really only thing about the snake stuff is just that apparently it's like totally fine to drink snake venom. Just like straight up snake venom? Yeah, because venom and poison are different things. Huh. So like, yeah, it just, it isn't toxic that way. It has to be injected into the muscle. Interesting. Which is a really fun Google search. I recommend it. I also found like a website where like a kid wrote in and was like if a snake bites another snake of the same species like will that snake die and it's like no but also let's talk about venom and blah 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 and like apparently at least according to this like we at least started figuring out that you know you could like eat venom because if you have multiple 
venomous snakes living together and like one snake bites a mouse to kill it and then like a snake of another species eats the mouse so like different venom and wouldn't be immune to that snake's venom that snake wouldn't get sick because like venom isn't poison so yeah because i thought it i was like this has to be like horrifying like you get snake venom on you like it has to like peel your skin and like Mm -hmm. whatever and i was like no it's apparently totally chill for voldemort to drink snake venom cool huh interesting (laughs) I'm so excited that I got to teach you something. I didn't, I was like, I thought you were just gonna be like, yeah, I also looked that up. <laughs> no, I, I I did not know that. I was, that's really cool. All right. And on that, more snake facts. Woo. Um, and this is, what the fuck kind of snake is Nagini? And we are, of course, as always, ignoring everything in the Fantastic Beast movies because they are not canon. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we get in this chapter where is uh, milking venom from Nagini. She's 12 feet long and has a diamond pattern. I don't remember if we get more description in later books about her. So obviously not what I think a lot of Americans would think of when they think of a diamond pattern snake, which is a diamond backed rattlesnake because she doesn't have a rattle. And of course rattlesnakes... They don't get big enough. They don't get big enough. They don't get to be 12 feet long. So like what we're really looking at is anaconda. Those are like long and heavy snakes, but they're not venomous. They're just thick danger noodles. Cobras get to be 12 feet long and are very poisonous, but they are just thin and chevron colored danger noodles. So probably some kind of like boa constrictor, um, even though, I mean, because we do get in book seven, her eating a like dead body whole, we presume, which is the thing mm-hmm. that boa constrictors do. And on top of that, uh, there's a ton, I mean, a ton of people keep boa constrictors as pets because they're not they're, venomous they're not venomous but they are hella chill and come in a variety of patterns and colors including diamond so nagini is some kind of weird magical venomous boa constrictor because right boa constrictors hunting strategy is to just crush their prey and right. not to poison it right so and like i mean magic so we could just assume that the venomous bit is the magical part of her because right in real life snakes are one or the other (laughs) you're either a constricting snake or you're a venomous snake what about the part where they met didn't they she came after harry right so she they met in albania is that are boa constrictors native to no no boa constrictors and anacondas are south South america i there are snakes that are native to europe but they're small huh so i mean i think we kind of have to assume that Nagini species is some weird magical snake species. Isn't it just like fucking JK Rowling to not choose like an actual goddamn snake? That's a weird thing to be mad about, but like I'm mad about it. Right. If like Voldemort fled to South America and is like, I want to keep this giant anaconda as a pet, then, and I'm a parcel mouth, and it's like, all right, that makes sense. So Albania's in like the Mediterranean. There's a bunch of vipers there. Live research with the Gaily Prophet. I mean, I guess I just don't know how long those vipers are going to be, though. Yeah. I feel like size-wise. And I guess, I also think, in in my brain, I'm kind of like, Nagini is also a thick snake. Yes. Like a wide, like a huge snake. I mean, so far, glancing very briefly at this list... They're all a couple feet feet long. Two and a half feet. Oh my god, we're looking at the same article. (laughs) 
This one goes yeah. to six feet. Yep. No, they're all little. I mean, I guess also, like in real life, there's also a bunch of non-native snakes all over weird parts of the world. I mean, we have boa constrictors in the Everglades because people kept like being like, I don't want this pet anymore. I'm just going to release it into the Everglades. And it's like, why would you do such a ecologically dangerous thing? Right. <laughs> like releasing a non-native snake that eats a ton and gets super long into the Everglades. People are so absurd with their choices like that. I know. Yeah, I am honestly like maybe unreasonably frustrated that she didn't choose like an actual like legitimate Albanian venomous snake to model Nagini after. It's very easy research. Or just like make Nagini a giant king cobra. King cobras are venomous and they're long and just make her a giant king cobra. And like cobras are cool. They have the hood. Very intimidating. It's true. I mean, I, I personally want it to be one that he like legit could have met in Albania while like in hiding. Yeah. As a weird ghost. That's true. <sighs> All right. I have one more snake fact. Yes, please. Before we, before we end, which is that. So people milk snakes for venom as part of making anti-venom, which I learned reading an article today that it was invented by someone over 120 years ago. And basically we're still making it basically the same way as that guy discovered like over 100 years ago do you want to hear something really upsetting about antivenom oh no yes it's like really not profitable to produce apparently like it doesn't go for enough money i guess because like everyone knows how to make it or it's like not proprietary or whatever but because of that they just like drug companies just don't make it and so like it's just unavailable in a lot of places especially like more rural places evan's parents like evan grew up in the middle of nowhere kentucky and his parents dog got bit by a not rattlesnake what are the ones copperhead and they went to the vet and were like she got bit by a copperhead and they were like yeah we don't we don't have antivenom and like we can't get it for you like you could try to drive to like the next big town an hour and a half away but like your best chance of her living is to give her just like a fuckload of benadryl and hope she comes through and she did concerned listeners but like the reason that the vet didn't have it is because like the companies just won't make it because they don't make enough money off of it because capitalism yeah yeah anything involving healthcare should have never been privatized like this because then we just get ridiculous bullshit where you live in a rural area maybe you get bit by a snake oops yep yeah you better really fucking hope that the snake handling churches in rural kentucky are correct that jesus will save you if you get bit by a snake out there because you definitely can't get some anti-venom this is very this is very ridiculous i wonder if you could somehow diy interesting because uh, i was reading in the article it's like made out of uh it's something to do with like the, the like injecting the venom into like horse blood or something strange and then like do you inject it into the horse and then take its blood because its antibodies are built up and make that make the antibodies out of fat something along those lines and i'm like maybe we could just start diy <laughs> Like, if some dude could do this 120 years ago, that means that, like, someone could potentially be doing this, like, in their kitchen. It's true. 
<sighs> All right. Um, is that that on snakes? That is that on snakes. <laughs> My last health and science question is just... So I, I looked forward in the book to see like what all Voldemort's like healing draft is made from. And it's the Nagini's venom and unicorn blood. And like, they don't have refrigeration. So I just am like, where are they getting the unicorn blood? Where is there like enough unicorns? And like, how have they been getting it on their whole presumed route from Albania to Little Hangleton? I don't know. I feel like as we've learned in when I did research on Escape from Reality, there's a lot of blood in a horse. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I'm coming back to the whole no refrigeration thing. Yeah, I guess some kind of weird magical stasis. Though it would be funny to just imagine Wormtail like dragging along a like keg full of unicorns. <laughs> Uh, i mean i think yes that's probably what it has to be is that they have like a cask yeah of like fermented unicorn blood sick all right (laughs) but at least they're not like killing a bunch of unicorns i guess that makes it a little bit better yeah if he's like drinking a like bottle's worth how like a couple times a day it might actually make sense that it lasts them a couple of months yeah Good, good. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. We will be back in two weeks in the interim. Don't forget to check out Escape from Reality. Uh, Both of those podcasts are created by hashtag Ruthless Productions and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. You can find us places that Jesse will tell you. Yeah, you can find hashtag Ruthless Production at our website thegaleyprophet.com we are on twitter and instagram at thegaleyprophet and you can uh, email us at thegaleyprophet at gmail.com heck yeah if you want to find me on the internet i am on instagram at lark malachi which is l-a-r-k-m-a-l-a-k-a-i and i have a website which is also larkmalachi.com and that's where you can sign up for a tarot reading from me You can find me on Instagram at live from Detroit or on Twitter at jesse underscore Detroit. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music in our theme song and spoiler warning are by Kevin McLeod. Our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. And until next time. Thick venomous danger noodles.